Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Fergus. Now, Fergus is a performance coach who works with professional and elite performers, special forces and corporate leaders. Welcome to the show. Amy, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. And we were introduced by the fabulous Lee Hayes. I've got another thank you to, to show her way because she has connected us to have this conversation today. Yeah, Lisa, Lisa's a special person. She's very, very good. She's a great person, but she's very, very good at what she does as well. Absolutely. And she loves working with people who are kind. So I know that this conversation is going to be a great one already. <laughs> uh, she's a great person herself. Yeah. Fantastic. So what do we want to talk about today? What is it you're doing right now? Well, I guess it kind of comes around to what we'll end up talking about later. But I think for me, you know, finding my purpose and understanding my purpose led me to really working with high performers and understanding how they can sustain success. And it really happened by accident because for me, you know, I've probably been a little bit fortunate that all of the work that I've done has been with either professional athletes. You know, my very first job was in the Premier League. You know, you don't start in professional sport at the top. You know, generally you you work your way up. I was fortunate. So I've always worked with elite performers, you know, whether it's in sport or military or in the corporate world and really helping them understand how to sustain their level of success. Because achieving it is one thing, but being able to sustain it is another and more and more of my work is really in the executive and corporate space, um, you know, because the principles of high performers uh, are the same across the board, because ultimately you're still dealing with a, a person, albeit the arena might be a little bit different. The context might be a little bit different, but the person, the DNA, the human, still the same human. And that's been a, a fascinating journey. So it started in sport, ended up consulting and with you know military units, uh, and then more and more in, in the corporate space. And it's really interesting that you talk about that sustaining level of success and all how achieving it's one thing, but obviously you know the momentum and carrying that through is another. But what you just touched on was the human element. And there's there's a science, obviously, to success and, and the way people perform, particularly at sort of very high levels. But again, it comes down to that human element and the feelings and the emotions. How much of a factor do they play? It's it's fascinating because, and I've had this conversation in, in many different groups and contexts, that, as humans, we're incredibly adaptable, and but we can also suppress anything for a period of time. And so we can suppress emotions, we can suppress natural instincts. But in order to 
And very often we do that early on to get to a particular level or to achieve something in the short term. But in order to sustain it, you have to be able to manage, you know, understand, comprehend, manage, facilitate, uh, you know, your mental, your emotional, your spiritual well-being in order to sustain it and to find, you know, success. And even just taking it a step back further, helping people identify truly what their level of success is or what their view of success is. Um, and that's very, very important. You know, very often I, you know, I've, I will work with teams or I'll work with coaches perhaps who move up a level and helping them understand now that at the elite level or at the special level, um, it requires a different set of skills to be able to sustain success. So what got you to this level is not going to keep you there. And it's certainly not going to be able to allow you thrive at that uh, you know, elite level. And that can be confusing. And it took me a long time even to understand it. It took me a long time, so spent a lot of time studying, but also just spending time speaking with, you know, some of incredibly um, capable people and, you know, understanding how they, some of them failed, some of them struggled, some of them weren't able to, some of them managed to regain it. Others were able to sustain it. And really understanding the difference between, you know, that sudden ramp up, that learning curve or that achievement curve, and then managing to stay there and to understand how to, to find that balance and to be successful at the top. So what's interesting for me is seeing your sort of pursuit of, of these particular niche sort of clientele that you're working with. Why are you fascinated with high, or high performers? Uh, I think because I, I wasn't one early on. So when I started, you know, as a, a young kid, you wanted to be the best. So you would try and study and read and learn everything and you would try things. Uh, you know, then when I got the opportunity to help coach others and learn from some of the best, then you start to, to realize the nuances and you realize, man, if I had known that, um, you know, maybe I could have, maybe. So you keep, so just drives and understand or it drives me to try and uh, have a better understanding but also I was very fortunate you know a lot of great people were willing to help and share ideas and then you keep trying things and you find so many things that don't work but for me that allowed me continue to refine a model it's like the, it's like a piece of coal or a piece of marble that you keep chipping away at and you end up refining this model and you realize this model is the one that's going to work. And I, I have, uh, I guess, a method or a system to, that I approach these things with, and it's based around creating a model of the problem and creating a model then. And, when you, and you keep chipping away at it until you come up with this resilient model that, can, that makes sense in all of these different contexts. And like I said, the, you know, I've been fortunate, you know, to have, to have worked at that top level from the beginning. And that has made me more aware of understanding, okay, well, people would come and they would say, oh, well, I want to do this. And you'd have to explain to them, well, you can't do that until you do these other stages. Or they would do it and they would do what you're doing, which is being successful for you, but it's failing for them. And then that gives you this understanding that it's different when you get to a particular level, but you need to sustain it. And what's the mission behind your work? 
I, I honestly just love helping people. I, I, I really, that's almost sounds, I get embarrassing, but it, truthfully, I enjoy helping seeing other people be successful. And it's not about me. It's about being able to, you know, you either get a text or you get a message or, uh, you know, uh, somebody thanks you for an impact that you might have had on their career. And, you know, you might never have spoken to them. Those, you know, that's rewarding, but it's about helping, you know, good people go on to do great things. And I think also, I think sometimes uh, people tend to question why they're doing things and you want to be able to be there and support them. You know, like I said, there have been so many great people have helped me and, you know, you have a duty to, to help them. And I think, you know, I think we're always looking for role models or for guidance when we're starting out in our career. And so, you know, it's just about giving back. But it's for me, that's incredibly rewarding. I, I, I can't explain it in any other way than that. I wish I had a better answer, but I just enjoy helping people do good things. Well, don't be embarrassed about it. It's fantastic to be able to know. But I, I wish I wish I had a more complicated answer. <laughs> but that's it. Like you mean, I, like I just I get that's what I get enjoyment from, and I, and I really, you know, my passion is understanding, you know, humans and human performance. Like you I mean at at the elite end or at you know what what's the best? How can we get a group of people to be the best that they can be? Um, not just about profit and loss or not just about achieving the objective, but building, you know, and bringing a group of people together, together that are truly dominant, you know, intimidatingly, boringly dominant in, you know, across the board. And to be part of that, that's, that's special because you know, you know that when you do that, that they're going to go on and impact their families, other people. And you just, you, and I don't like the word legacy because it that infers that it's when you're gone, but you know that they're having an impact today and tomorrow, and that's you know incredibly rewarding. It's a living legacy, and it, it's creating that ripple effect that you are having that impact, and you are creating the knock-on effects with so many other people. And I've talked about this with other guests: is that often you don't even know the the effects that you have and what that then goes on to do because you just don't know who that's going to sort of affect. Is part of that ripple effect. Yeah, I had a call with four uh, four guys. They were wanting to begin a project, and uh, last week, and uh, they were asking for some advice. Um, and you know, at the end, you know, they thanked me for my influence on not just on them, but on on the industry. And you know, for me to hear that, I, I hadn't really understood that. But, you know, yes, you, you can have a, a bigger impact than you think you have. And he talked about that it wasn't sort of a, an, a set route. You didn't set out to do this. This has sort of evolved as it's, it's over the years. And you did have that fantastic opportunity to start at the top. But what does it mean to make a human better? Um, well, I would rephrase it in to make better humans as opposed to humans better. And that's really subtle and it takes a while to think about it. But yeah, you can fix somebody in the short term, but I, I want to make better humans, you know, in order to, and that they have an understanding that it's not just their impact professionally, but also in a holistic sense, particularly in a societal sense, because, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go down the road of politics in this short talk, but 
that that is important because you can't consider yourself you know uh you know in isolation you have to consider your impact and your role in society as a whole because you if you want a society to exist and continue to thrive you have to consider your role and impact on everybody around you and how you can do that and that means uh really understanding three core areas yes your professional sense what you do but also your personal well-being your physical and mental health and then your purposeful living like i mean your legacy your values your role in society and so those are the three core areas that um you know that we look at in particular with you know high performers because what tends to happen is professionally they can excel for a short period of time sometimes they struggle to sustain it their personal life can struggle because of a slight imbalance they've invested so much and perhaps later on then they'll struggle with understanding their purpose or their greater purpose in life and so those are the the three core areas that that we look at so that people can find that contentment that consistent contentment in living and what are the questions that you challenge people to ask themselves the one of the first questions like i mean you ask somebody is what do you do and they'll say well i'm an engineer or you know i'm a ceo or i'm a cfo and then you'll say so who are you and then they struggle to answer they they struggle to to truly answer what the the difference between what they are and who they are and then the final question really is you know why are you here and those are the, uh, those three questions are at the core you know what do you do who are you and why are you here and when you they they're very philosophical and they're very i guess abstract but when you start to explore those questions you start to find the areas that people have difficulty expressing or they find it uncomfortable because they just perhaps haven't thought about it but that's often at the source of understanding discomfort in their life or disquiet where they struggle at certain periods when they find that there is this underlying current that is throwing them off and that's really exciting because they, when they start to understand and we have a lot of fun with it as well you know um but when they start to realize ah okay that's a so in in massage or in physical therapy you call it a trigger point where you run your finger along there's a little knot and people get a twinge so it's a little trigger point and people find and then when you release it then all of a sudden things start to come back and they start to go okay now i see now i see where we're going with this and they are fundamental questions but they're ones that people don't ask why do you think that is so sometimes you shouldn't poke a bear you know if, if you know or let sleeping dogs lie so there are a lot of people are you know very content like you I mean just because you can't express it doesn't mean that you don't know what it is and i learned that working with an nfl quarter uh, running back actually still playing today you know i would ask him questions about what did he do and he couldn't explain it to me but he was still an incredible athlete but just because he couldn't explain it couldn't verbalize it didn't mean that he didn't know what he was doing so there are lots of us who perhaps can't explain it but it's fine it's working well they have a feeling and intuition and that if that's working for them good but then you know there are people who maybe have ignored it or maybe are confused about it you know they thought it was this but as their role their career their life has evolved um they've realized hang on a second it's not quite what i thought it was and so that's really really important i think it's really helpful as well for people to see that 
and they suddenly go, oh, hang on a second. This isn't, you know, I find myself down this path, but that's, it's not going in the direction that I thought it was. Also, I think, particularly professionally, I think we end up going down a particular path and we find, okay, uh, I thought it was going to lead to this, but it's not. It's led to, for example, more hours or it's led to, yeah, it's, you know, greater prestige or whatever, but it's not quite behind the scenes what I thought it was going to be or I'm sacrificing too much for it. So when those moments come, people find, you know, they get uh, hit like with a, with somewhat of a, a thunderbolt and they're kind of going, hang on a second, this is not quite what I thought or what I had in mind. So you're currently based in LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've traveled all around the world with various clients. Have you chased the clients or the chase, uh, the clients chased you down? You know, I've... With my career, my life, I've never, never, it's always been following, um, either being, you know, invited somewhere, it's just following a passion. And, you know, like, like you said, I've never had a plan as such. This is what, these are the stages or things. It's never been like that for me at all. But there has been, you know, a a passion in trying to understand uh, how you can make better people or better teams and improve people and so that's really been the direction so it's never been a a case of trying to follow either uh, locations or countries or anything like that no and how did you sort of get all of your knowledge did you read or did you learn on the role a a combination like I mean yeah I you know I I went to university I you know I did a, um, a degree my degree was in woodwork teaching and construction uh, my master's was in manufacturing, PhD was in computer-based optimization. Then I had a lot of hands-on experience learning and studying. I've got a library here of a few hundred books I really need to sell or get rid of. I need to convert. I need to need to get them all in Kindle. But some of them, some of them actually I've tried to, and I can't even find them electronically. Some of them are very rare. But it was a combination of you know academic study and then reaching out and finding the best practitioners. And I spent a lot of time and still do to this day, reaching out to uh, researchers, professors, spending time with them, studying. Because even with, uh, even with research, the insight that the practitioner can provide, you know, based on their research sometimes can be far more insightful. But then there's also the trial and error, like implementing things. They're not, it's not working and now very much mentoring teams and okay well did that work did that not work why didn't it and and that feedback but then the other stage that uh, that works particularly well for me then is like i said coming back and formulating okay based on all of these experiences what is the most robust model and principles that can work in these different areas and that's the excitement the excitement is when you can build something that is robust so um, you know, a few weeks ago, I was presenting a, a model to a group in a special operations community. I was using this a similar model with similar principles then with a corporate group and then in a sporting context and refining that model. And when you find that you have this model that can work across different areas, that's the excitement. And again, it's based around the person, the elite performer. So it's a combination of all of the different areas. But at the end of the day, it has to work in the real world doesn't like you mean for me it has to because that's that's where I that's where I live well we all live in the real world we we hope we do anyway 
we, we, well, we hope we do. But, uh, you know, as, as compared to, for example, you know, living on social media or in academia where the criteria are different for me, has to work with real people. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. So you're talking about being authentic here. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, exactly. It has to work. It has to be authentic. It has to get to, and part of the, part of the authenticity is um, working in the real world and solving a real problem as opposed to just saying, well, do these three things and, you know, just throwing that out there and realizing that, well, it's not going to work for half and it will work for half. And the problem is then that the people who it doesn't work for look at it and go, well, I must be wrong. When you know whatever's been presented is not robust, it's not really, it's not hasn't been thought through in a way that it can work in different contexts. And you talk about your the, the authenticity. You talk about the vulnerability in your TEDx that you shared. And what did it feel like to sort of talk about vulnerability and authenticity on a on a stage? I think um, it was. It was good for me. Well, it like I mean, it, it it wasn't good, but it was important to be able to explore the idea of failure with elite performers because one of the and again, this is unique to in, in you know the higher up you go, obviously the more successful you've been, and you've created a set of steps, a step of processes mentally to allow you be successful. But there are two things that happen. One are sometimes you don't notice the failure creep. So in other words, small cracks appearing in what you're doing because you haven't refined it enough. The other thing then is that when you step outside of that comfort zone, you struggle and fail, you sometimes ignore it um, and you don't look after yourself or you don't look after the, the problem itself. And so it was particularly important for me to be able to share that lesson with others because it was only because of the fact that, you know, I had failed, others knew about it, that all of these other people, many of them who I knew intimately, you know, came forward, stepped forward and shared things with me and still do, you know, to this day and, and talk about how, yeah, I screwed up Ferguson. Like, I mean, uh, the number of times somebody has said to me, well, the only reason that, you know, people know about yours is because of where you were and what you were doing whereas there have been lots of other incredibly successful people, but just not in the public arena, and you don't hear about their stories. And so the beauty of uh, you know, failure and being humbled, and even just this morning working out with, uh, with the Marine, and we were just talking about that import, the importance of uh, being humbled regularly you know, and, and allowing yourself to enjoy the beauty of that and to learn from it. It's not a bad thing. If you if you learn from it, and so that was important. It's and it was it was really really important for me to learn or to accept um, the importance of failing. And so now I try and put myself more often in situations where it's embarrassingly it's embarrassing, it's humbling for me. Whether it's trying to do a workout that I have no chance of of doing or taking up something like trying to bake, you know, th those things are important because. It keeps you, it allows you to continue to learn those problem-solving skills and to recognize the benefit. 
And I've talked to elite coaches and, and sportsmen before about the importance of failing because actually they learn more from their failing attempts or failed uh, attempts in, in sport than when they win. Because when they win, they don't necessarily analyze the performance as much as when they lose. Yeah, it was Clive Woodward first said that to me. I remember, like, I mean, people, you know, whatever about Sir Clive, some people love him, some people hate him, but I can. I remember I called, you know, I called him out of the blue. He may have vaguely known who I was and he was so kind to give me, I think two hours of his morning in the middle of the Olympics, actually, or just before the Olympics sat and had breakfast with me. And that was one of the things he said to me, which blew me away. And he was making the point that we don't look critically enough at our successes. And sometimes we overanalyze then our failures, you know, psychologically or emotionally, and we take too much from it. And that, you know, I walked out of that, that meeting and a few weeks later, I remember saying to myself, there's no difference between winning or losing if you choose to analyze them properly. And so sometimes, and particularly with lead performers, when we win, we think that, or we confuse preparation with control. We confuse the fact that we won because we were incredibly well prepared and we thought that we were in control. We were never in control. We were just very, very well prepared for that situation. And that's when we won. But then other times we will lose and perhaps we prepared exceptionally well, but it was just the context. It was just the opponent. And so it's being able to look at that, take the emotion out of it and look at it in the cold light of day. And so, again, just when you're successful, you have to look at it critically as well. And, you know, when all of the congratulations have been, uh, you know, have calmed down, taking your team and sitting down and going, okay, we were successful, but what did we do wrong? Like, why did we just scrape over the line? And of course, people say, well, you're being too critical, but we're still celebrating, but we're going to use this high to really be as be more critical because that's how the only way we're going to get better. And then there's sometimes when you lose, when you have to go, okay, you know, we were just beat by a better team and you have to know how to manage that. But again, that higher up you go, the more difficult it is to be critical. Sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's more difficult to have those tough conversations. That's why, you know, having those humbling moments and enjoying them and seeing the value in them is very, very helpful. And you talked about Sir Clive Woodward and, and his, his impact when he first took over the reins. I remember he did quite a few small things and he made a big difference. He looked into each of the players personally and, and really, I think he gave them a gift and each had a gift especially for them that he'd really worked towards because he knew the importance of the team. And I mean, you, you talking about working in corporates, talk about working with the elite performers and the special forces. It's so important to work as a team and not as an individual. Yeah, you, it's about individual preparation within a team environment. And there's another great uh, Olympic coach, uh, Bill Sweetnam. He used to talk about how, you know, in team sports, you're trying to get everybody to concentrate more on being, looking after themselves individually. And But in the Olympic sports, you're trying to get them more to think of themselves as being part of an Olympic team. And there's a, there's a delicate balance so that you can help develop the individual, but they understand their, their role and the role of the team and the relationship in in them and that's where the that's where you know values and the culture is is uh is key but also as teams come under stress they have to recognize that that stress can be shared and can be supported by others 
so that the team objective is achieved. But most importantly, the vision must be clear so that everybody is aligned. And so, you know, you can talk about values all you want, but vision is critical to this so that there's a shared vision because, you know, I, I, I call it the Tyson rule, you know, when you get punched in the mouth or you get knocked down or things are, are going chaotic, not literally punched in the mouth, but when things are chaotic, you're trying to figure out where to go. The vision is so important because that just allows people in the moment of confusion to move, to continue to move forward towards that. And that is something that you will find with most, uh, you know, very, very successful groups. They have a clear vision. And it's a vision that everybody uh, has a role in and it's a shared vision. Now, you want everybody to also celebrate in the wins and understand the losses, but you don't want anybody to start to take it too far either, particularly the losses. And that's where leadership comes into play where the leaders will take a lot of the pressure off and things get difficult because they know that they know how to manage the temperature in the, in the team. And you're talking about the purpose driven, the values based, the people centered, and, and it is absolutely all of those three things. I talk about the purpose, values, mission, vision, and then the ongoing focus within the environment. And the environment actually is something that is often sort of left to the last piece of, of nurturing it. How are you how are you finding working with people in that respect? Yeah, the environment is the environment is interesting because and I'd, you know this is something I've always been aware of is um, even when you visit groups and teams as being very cognizant of the artifacts. Um, so for example, it might simply be the cleanliness, uh, the dress code, things like that. And, I, and it's not that it needs to be prim and proper. In fact, sometimes that's a, a real worry for me when things are almost too perfect. But it's just what does that represent, the style, the mindset. And then you've got the behaviors, how people behave towards one another. But that to me is, is really what the environment itself is. And so recognizing that that sets a tone um, for how people are going to treat both the environment and each other is something that a lot of groups miss, but it can be very, very telling, particularly as an outsider, when you go and visit, when you consult, when you're working with groups, all of those small things do have an impact over time. Now, and I, I touched on this at the, the beginning, 80% of your job is knowing what not to do. So it's about the prioritization and optimization. So it's not a case of going into a checklist and saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. It's being able to see which things are having an impact and then also knowing which things to prioritize and sequence. So if we make this change here, that would take care of these other five things over time. That's that taken care of. Um, and it's knowing what all of those things are. and just But that takes experience as well and takes... You know, who I was talking to somebody recently. We were talking about um, oh, all blacks and cleaning the sheds. You know, and people had this thing about well, if every everybody was cleaning their locker, yeah, you you have to clean the locker room, but there are lots of other things you got to do as well. Just doing that one thing is not going to. And also, it's you can't again just copy what the the top team are doing or what you read in an article or what somebody said. It's what is the pathway to get to there. You got to look back and go, okay, what did they do when they were at our level? What did they do at the next level? How can we aspire to be like that? 
It's not about setting standards lower. It's about understanding there is a pathway and a routine to get there. Now, you can speed it up a little, but you have to get the order right. Otherwise, all you're doing is you're just creating a superficial layer on top. It's like, um, right, you know, early on in, in the new year, everybody's on a new diet, doing a new workout, but <laughs> just can't go from zero to six, zero to 60 in three seconds. You've got to take your time and get the order right. Yeah, I, I was literally speaking about this recently in my in my January podcast, and I was talking about how this effervescence is going to fade because it's going to ebb as people realise that they they thought that they could achieve huge things, and they can, but they try to achieve it straight away, and and therefore they then sort of lose interest after not being able to do that. And when you're talking there, I I'm hearing this sort of the one percent incremental changes. I know that Brailsford did it in his in the cycling team for GB and that's he's that's well documented how are you sort of perceiving or detecting the differences and nuances that need to be made sort of remotely not being able to go and work with clients at the moment well i think it's i i personally think it's it it's tragic you know it it itself is a tragic situation and uh you know the the number of deaths and that 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 people have to deal with um I think is is very poignant. I think there are opportunities, incredible opportunities for resilience and for self-improvement. I think there will be a lot of good will come out of this over time. I think people will appreciate relationships, appreciate the value of relationships of community more. But I also think that people have a great opportunity to spend time alone. Now that, you know, if you start spending more and more time in social media, yeah, it's probably not the best use of your time. But if you use this time to truly reflect and create, you know, develop an awareness, particularly of who you are, um, that will stand in a lot better stead over time. Because, like you said, many you know many people will just drift through and keep m- making the same mistakes. But this it, times like this, always a believer in looking for what's the opportunity in this. Uh, moment of difficulty and what can we there's always um there is always a knife knife to sharpen like there's always something that you can get better at and so use that time to to do that but yeah there will be a lot of a lot of good will come out of this i think over time and it's interesting as well because i think community community will improve because everybody's struggling together against one particular thing one particular difficulty at this moment in time. So I think that's one of the things that hopefully will come out of this. It's certainly been an equaliser and allowed everybody to sort of, as you say, reflect and and to sort of really stop and a pause and appreciate, you know, what opportunities, as you say, there are and whether they're actually aligned with their values. And it's been a lot of work that I've been working with with my coaching clients is people realise that they'd been on a course that they had no real sort of realization why they were going that way and this has been an opportunity to sort of reassess have there been any recent particular circumstances where you've worked with someone and they have realized that they've been on the wrong course or or the course that they didn't realize they were sort of taking themselves on yeah uh to just just after christmas actually at a at a client who was just because of economic circumstances and because of the fact that, you know, they just weren't able to travel as much, had to readjust and had to take a different 
look at at their business and what they were doing. But it was interesting. It wasn't about actually changing what they were doing. It certainly wasn't about adding. It was actually about refining and improving the quality of the service that they already provide. And that was that was rewarding. It was rewarding for me. But you know, when that aha moment came. I was glad because when you're dealing with, you know, very often A-type people, you're, you're coaching, but you're unsure of how they're going to react to the realization that they're going to come to. Because for me, it's always about, can I help the person perhaps see something that I think that's where they're going to end up, but I want them to find that. I want them to uncover it because it's about empowering people. It's not about telling people what they should do and, and so when, you know, sometimes as you're talking around it and eventually they uncover it, you're, you're just waiting to see if that, if they're going to really buy into it. But um, yeah, it was, and it was really rewarding because very often your purpose, uh, you know, goes back to almost a childhood. And, you know, when that happens and people uncover that and it's staring them in front, staring right in front of them. And they start to see actual incredible potential in something that they already have got their willing in front of them. And again, that's something that when people are in a race to uh, reach stages or acquire things, acquire businesses or purchase businesses early on in their career, sometimes taking the time or when you get to a particular level, there's only so many companies you can have before now you start to struggle. So helping them realize, hang on a second, I have everything I need. I need to take a step back or take a different perspective on what I have and really improve the quality of those. So there are a lot of those, a lot of examples like that, that um, I think are, uh, that people are going to find if they haven't already over the last number of months. And with the power of hindsight, can you cast your mind back to when you were a child, when you first realized that helping other people was what you were destined to do? I think it was all, you know, I, I only ever played team sport. And I think being able to share in wins and losses with friends, I think that that is at its core. And being able to be uh, a resource for others, for others to peers to pick up the phone or to try and get, you know, some help for what, you know, how can I improve or how can I do that? Uh, I think that's where, where it comes from, um, at, you know, from a, from a young age. And you use the metaphor of sheepdogs in your TEDx and, and, <laughs> and you also say that even a sheepdog needs another sheepdog at some point in life. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's one of, you know, it, it's lonely at the top. It's lonely, like, I mean, for a lot of the, like, I mean, I've sat, I've sat in some incredible environments with some very successful people and they're on their own. And, and sometimes even their families who know a particular side of them, they've either protected them from, you know, the complications or stresses of business. So they do, they're not aware of everything, you know, that's going on, you know, and so sometimes finding someone you can lean on and be, you know, just be open with share uh you know throw ideas around with and and that's one of the things that that i enjoy the most is being able to talk about uh have those awkward conversations they're not awkward 
you know, but people, others might think they're awkward, but it's how you present them. You're presenting the completely opposite idea or something that they wouldn't, that you think, or that others would think they would never consider, but you have those conversations and I call it play because, you know, as kids, when we're growing up, we try lots of things we play and we mess around and we find out what works and we don't. So, but I think as uh, executives get older or become more isolated for want of a far better term, they don't get the opportunity to play around with these ideas. They don't get the opportunity to debate them. They don't get the opportunity to say, well, what if, and that's, that's ridiculous. Or let me, let me throw this crazy idea out there. Let me just throw it out there and let's see what happens. When you have, when you can find those moments, clients, uh, and you have a lot of fun with them, that's, you know, that is exciting. It's enjoyable and it's relaxing as well because it's playing. You're playing with these ideas. Now then you you make a decision, you go to work, but you have to play with them. You have to enjoy it because that's, you know, what you started. That's where the passion is. You have to play. And you have to have a sheepdog. You have to have a sheepdog to play with. But yeah, but when things get diff- when things get difficult, you gotta, you know, you you have to be able to, you know, lean on people. You know, I have called later on today with somebody you got to touch base with and like, I mean, you have to be able to do the, do that. Fantastic. And just to explain the metaphor that we're you you're you're using here, just explain who, who what the roles are with the sheepdog and the and the wolves and the. Yeah. Well, so you know, a lot of leaders are, um, you know, a lot of us in society, I guess, or a lot of us in either families, or you know, we take on a role of a sheepdog, where we are looking out for others. We've people who we are responsible for. So perhaps it's in a family could be in at work it could be in you know in your community you have a sheepdog role because there are always people who need you know there are sheep that you that will either need your direction your leadership need your support and you need to be there for them but there will always be difficult moments and there will always be there are bad people there are difficult moments there's chaos there are wolves essentially that will be around but you know there are times when even the the strongest, fittest sheepdog needs to lean on another sheepdog for support, uh, or even simply, like I said, to be able to play and talk around ideas. You know, like I've made mistakes, I've got a lot better at it at being able to reach out and and lean on others. Because again, as a leader, very often you're the one who people come to for either direction or come with a problem. Uh, they're looking for direction. You give an answer, so you end up becoming essentially somebody who's just simply answering questions and helping others and solving problems. But then there are times when you need either to take time off or so you need somebody who can come up and say, you know, in the quiet moment, Hey, listen, you, you don't look so good. You, you know, you need to take some time off or that you can pick up the phone or walk down the office and go, I need to talk through a few things because this is just overwhelming me. Well, Talking of being overwhelmed, I, I, we've covered performance, <laughs> resilience, authenticity, leadership. I'm overwhelmed already, Amy. <laughs> no, it's been fantastic. I mean, it, we've talked about failure. We've talked about preparation and control. I mean, there's so many different sort of themes here that have been fantastic. I really appreciate that you coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. How would people get in contact with you, Fergus? Uh, my website is probably the easiest, fergusconley.com, and uh, everything is everything from there. Well, that's fantastic. I'll make sure that goes into the show notes. Thank you. And again, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. 
Could you leave us with some final words? There's always, there's always an opportunity, like no matter how dark or difficult things are like, and I mean this sincerely, I know a lot of people will are always, it's a cookie cutter or it's a fortune cookie comment, but even in the most difficult circumstance or even in the most challenging times, there's always a learning outcome and there's always an opportunity. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to be rosy in the morning, but when things get really, really difficult, you know, sit there for a moment and enjoy the difficulty and the pain and understand that there's a learning moment here. If you find it, now you can ignore it and you can whine about it. But if you look for that learning moment, it's going to make things better down the road and you are going to get better. So I know, I know a lot of us are in difficult times and I know that there's no horizon, you know, in the short term, but there, uh, this is an opportunity to learn and to, and to get better. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.